What's up and welcome to Groundbreaking, a friendly original podcast bringing you the young creatives, redefining what it means to create and introducing you to tomorrow's leaders today. I'm Jake Brewer. Let's get started. On today's episode, we have Lauren Steichleather, author of A Mixing Pot of Poems, a new book of poetry debuting Lauren's passion for poetry in a completely new way. Today, we're talking about learning to process feelings through creative outlets, the publishing process, and what it takes and what it means to face your feelings head on. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Groundbreaking. I am so incredibly excited that you're back here again with us. And I'm really excited for today's episode too. It's one that I've been looking forward to for a long time and I think is going to give you a very unique perspective on a sort of industry that we haven't really dove into as much on this show before. Um, So I'm definitely gonna learn a lot today. I know you're gonna learn a lot today. Um, so with that, I'm going to introduce the author of A Mixing Pot of Poems, Miss Lauren Steichleather. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be here today. Um, my name is Lauren, as Jacob said, um, and I am the new author of A Mixing Pot of Poems for Thought, which is a book of rhyming poetry about really all kinds of life lessons from love to heartbreak to just, you know, daily lessons that maybe people don't always talk about. Um, but are very much prevalent in our society. Um, It took me four years to write, and I just was published in December of 2020, so I am super excited. Amazing, and I love that I butchered the title already, because then now it's just, it's like my mess up is clear, it's off the table, and we can just get to it. (laughs) It's okay, most people call it that anyways, it's a long title. (laughs) Okay, so maybe we just like start there, because already just off your intro I have, a million follow-up questions and I have I have an idea of where I want or at least I'm hoping our conversation to go today um, and that's really just about your creative passion as an emotional outlet um, so of course I want to get talk about the book and talk about how it came to be and like where the spark came from where the inspiration came from of course but I do want us to um, end up talking about like why having a creative outlet is so important to like emotional development um, and it, it sounds like you said four years this book talks about. I'm sure quite a lot happened in the past four years of your life. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. It covers all kinds of stuff. I am, there is everything, everything in this book. It has, it's a, it's a culmination of experience and passion and everything in between. So, yes. Well, okay. Let's start here then. What like, like, it's like, I'll be honest. I've had the thought like, ah, oh, Jacob, write a book. Like, let's just do it. Um, plenty of times, more times than I'd probably like to admit, but what, what was about this time that had the spark and you followed through with it entirely? Like what got you to the finish line? That's actually a great question. Um, so I started writing this book at the, towards the end of high school. And I always was like, I want to be an author. And I looked into Amazon, Kindle direct publishing and, you know, there was so much like I would have had to do myself that I just, I didn't think I could do it. I was like, I don't know how to get an editor. I don't know how to get a cover designer. How does this work? There's no way I'm going to have time in college to do this. And I was totally taken aback by one day I had this LinkedIn message from this guy named Eric Coaster, who is a professor at Georgetown, Georgetown University. Um, and he 
had started this program to basically accelerate college students to be authors if they wanted to. Um, he was an English professor first. I'm sorry, my dog is in the background. Um, <laughs> and he hated that kids would leave an English semester and just throw out all their essays and never look at them again. And so he's like, I want kids to take my product, product of my class, and take it with them for the rest of their life. I'm going to make a class where kids only project for the whole semester is to write a book. So he did his class and it was so popular, like literally the first class that filled up every semester. And so he made more sessions and more sessions. And finally he's like, I want to expand this to more than just the Georgetown community. I'm going to make it like a college thing. And then it was so popular that he expanded to anyone, any adult who wanted to write a book could do it for $200 now, obviously to cover editing fees and all that kind of stuff. So I thought it was a scam um, for about five months. I was like, this is fake. This is too good to be true. I don't buy it. I'm not giving you my credit card information. Um, but then after like seeing other people that I didn't know, but like, you know, online, I looked at his website called the Creator Institute and I was like, wow, this is very legit. Um, so I signed up last January and we had these weekly writing workshops where me and several other authors would get online on Zoom um, once a week with Eric and he would talk about the steps of writing a book. And I was a bit different from the other authors because it was mostly for nonfiction authors who were kind of cultivating like a career passion. Whereas I had already been writing this thing for like three or four years and was just kind of like trying to get in the final steps to make it a book. So I was going to these workshops, you know, I wasn't like writing all my book last spring. I was like filling in the blanks more than the other authors may have been. And I was also one of four poets in this program. And there was like 150 authors in this program. Um, but it started at 300 authors and was narrowed down to about 50% in this program um, because people have things to come up. People can't make deadlines. It's all kinds of things I kind of saw as we went through. Um, so I had an editor for five months who helped me kind of like really fine tune like the very beginnings. Cause you, we all think when we make something that it's gonna be the best thing ever. We're like, I don't need an editor. Are you kidding me? Like I'm the best ever. And then you're like, wow, I need some serious help. Um, and so, the, so we had one kind of deadline in May where we submitted to the publisher that this program had partnered with um, and they either okay you or say, keep working. And I was okayed and approved by the publisher the day I graduated college, which was quite the day. Um, so then I knew I was going to publish in 2020, but there was quite a long road ahead. So long story short, I went through the rest of that process, partnered with that publisher called New Degree Press, and we kind of just finished the thing together from about July to December. So wow. that pushed me over the edge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What was out of that whole process? Like, what was the piece that was either like the more difficult piece or the one that took way longer than you thought, or maybe the piece that was so much simpler than you thought, because even just thinking about the questions I wanted to ask you, my mind didn't even like, even consider like the publication process. Like it was like, oh, she writes a book and then it's out. But like <laughs> in, my, in my mind, and maybe your mind too at the get-go was like, uh, yeah, it's just like, it's done. So it's like there, but I guess the publication process is a whole thing of its own. That's kind of what I'm putting together. Yeah. Totally. And most definitely. And I could have, everyone says that, but you don't understand it until you go through it. And the process I went through was super unconventional because new degree press 
it's a hybrid publishing company. So it's not fully self-publishing like Amazon Kindle Direct where you don't really have anyone behind you. You just want it to be bound basically. Um, and it's not like I had an agent and I went to like Penguin House and was like, I'm like, I am a real author, but I'm not like, you know, institutional. Um, <laughs> so it was this weird hybrid. I had to do a pre-sale. That was probably the hardest part for me because um, New Degree Press required like a, like a small fee to like, again, I had six editors, two cover designers, a publishing coordinator. I mean, so many people on my team that, um, so I had to pay like a, like a large fee up front and then I get to keep 100% of the profits after as a result. So like they don't take a cut from whatever, not that I'm in this for the money at all. It was really just to get my work out there. Um, but it was kind of like pay up front, you can have it later maybe, but I didn't actually pay anything because I raised all the funds in the pre-sale. I was so thankful to be so supported by all my friends and family and professors and random acquaintances from my past who were willing to support me. Um, and so I raised that money. The other hardest part was simply accepting that there was so much that needed work on my book, like I said, but my poetry is rhyming, like I said as well. And people... I think people underestimate how hard it is to make things rhyme eloquently and in a mature way because anyone can rhyme like bad, mad, sad. Oh, that's like a children's book maybe. But like I really try to dive deep into some complex issues and doing so in rhyme is the fun of it for me, but it's also really hard. So when someone's like, can you just expand on this idea by like a little here that requires hours of my thought to make it rhyme and expand on the idea so it's like um that's definitely the hardest yeah well and i mean i can imagine too like i've even had i felt instances like this where something that you pour so much into emotionally feels very strange to have somebody give feedback upon it who isn't proving to them that they understand the emotional depth of yes. that and of course, that's their job, and that's why they're a part of the team too. So we're asking for that. But even if we are, if it's solicited, it's still hard to hear because you're like, okay, well, that felt complete to me. Like that was like a bow on it, and then adding more just almost seems to like set off how natural it came to. A hundred percent. Literally, you just summed up all my thoughts that I had in August when I got this huge report back on my my whole manuscript, and I was like oh my God, <laughs> this is a lot of changes. So, so do you interpret that as like, do you think of that more as like, these are edits to my work or as, or like, or as these are the edits because these people know how to produce a book? Like, how did you convince yourself to like find the common ground with editing? That's a great question too. I, so I really struggled. Basically the way they did it was I submitted my manuscript and this editor who I'd never met before. And I really was barely allowed to speak to before I got my thing back, went through my whole manuscript and rated it by like seven categories, like, like one to five or something. And I got back like a color coded table for every single poem in my manuscripts with like one to five and seven categories. And it was so overwhelming to look at. And I was like, and my, I had another editor who was kind of like my, like more of my support system who helped me like do the whole, like just all the other steps. Um, and she was like, we want you to be happy with your book. And if you're not comfortable making a change, that's fine, but we recommend these. So please take them all into consideration, even if you take them in consideration and then later realize this isn't me. I don't want to do this. 
which I did for a few edits, but most of the edits, like all the, can you expand on this? Once I did a few and proved to myself that I could revamp my work in a better way, even if it took a little bit extra, made the others seem like possible and also worth it. If it would sound more mature, sound better. Um, so once I went through that whole, like really like getting down into redoing the ideas in a lot of them, I had another editor come in who was like, I'm gonna come and mess with your rhythm. And I was like, that is sacred to me. And she cut all these syllables. And I was so pissed. I was like, how dare you? You don't understand how hard it is to make this all come together. And after like reading her edits like a million times and like almost getting in fights with her, even though she had my best interests in heart, um, I realized she was correct because I was reading them wrong in my head. You know, you don't see it outside of your own head because I've written this thing for four years and it's just like my words in my head. Um, but I was able to take a bajillion filler words out like that's and ands and all is a word I used. I, I control F through my manuscript right before I turned it in. And I had 128 uses of the word all. Wild, like who thinks of that word as like it's a word that's overused. Um, but I actually went through and deleted like 35 of them right before I submitted it and was able to rejig her just because you don't realize because someone has to point it out to you basically. Yeah. 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 And when, when you're writing for people to like enjoy your work, because obviously part of it is just to, as a passion project, but part of it is to write for other people to enjoy. How much does that weigh in your mind when you are writing? Like, how do you balance your own pursuit of what you want to write versus going, okay, it's not about selling it. It's not about the money of it, but like, I need to make people like it too at the same time. Or do, do you not even like have that thought at all, which I don't even think is wrong, but I'm curious to see, does that, how often does that thought occur in your mind as you're writing? Well, Obviously, before I knew I was writing, I mean, I, I thought of this title like many years ago. Um, so, but I never was like, oh, I'm writing this for someone. So I was like, a lot of my poems actually are inspired by friends and like other people. So I would write for myself or for other people. And it was just for that one person. So only one person had to appreciate it and understand it. And if it could be generalized later on, that's great. But I mean, there's 70 poems in my book and I've probably written like close to 180 or something like that. So it's a small snapshot that of the, of the ones that could be generalized, the ones that, so basically when I started this program, I had to like narrow them down because not all of them were okay for everyone to see or appreciate. And I went from 130 that I originally thought were generalizable to 70, which is still 170 pages. Like that's decent. Um, can't imagine how long it would have been if I kept them all. And a lot of them were repetitive and like, it was me processing things in like different ways that really weren't so different in the end. Um, but I would say when I was in this process, cause I, I wrote, in my opinion, some of my best poems when I was actually going through the workshops um, on my own time, never crammed or anything. It was whenever it came to me, I wrote about it. And, and I guess, I guess I never really took other people's opinions into it as I was going, because when I'm going, I'm like, going in the zone and it's really whatever rhymes with the words or how it ends up so if it's not appealing to others then I'll just kind of like put it in a way a pile a personal pile but if if I think it can be something better then I will make it more 
you know, available in my manuscript. So I guess I didn't take that too much into consideration. Good. And hey, it worked out pretty well. So excellent there. Well, you mentioned kind of the, the title and the inspiration behind that. Where did that come in? Did that stray from like your thoughts on what it could be? Or was that always like, this is the title, that was the inspiration? Because I find it different for all kinds of creators. Like they have the sort of overarching idea sometimes at the get-go and then sometimes it's developed. Um, so like, let's talk about the inspiration because there's quite the metaphor throughout your entire book too. And it continues and you hold to it. So was that a process that you knew from the very beginning or was that something that did develop? So I thought of the title super randomly. I couldn't even tell you when, like it was in college at some point, maybe my freshman or sophomore year. Um, and it just, I, I, I don't know where it came from. I wrote it down one day. I'm like, I'm mixing pot of pumps for thought. Hey, it rhymes. Hey, I love rhyming poetry. That's going to be the title of my book. Um, because, you know, it basically, it sums it up. It's a collection of poems that make you think about life. Um, and once I had that, I mean, that was in my head. I was like, I'm going to write this book called The Mixing Pot of Poems for Thought. And I would tell people that and they're like, that's fun. No one really ever like <laughs> completes publishing a book. And I was like, watch me, but okay. Um, and the chapters were something I struggled with so much with my first editor. We went back and forth over cooking metaphors and words. I was thesaurusing like cooking and all this <laughs> stuff about like, what could I make five of? Cause I have five chapters and I kind of, as I went, was able to pull those out pretty easily. And I was like, I have five chapters. What are five words like, or anything cooking related that I can do that sum up the, the themes of them and stick to the title and cooking, and I mean, I don't even have that much of a passion for cooking, but I just thought that it made it unique because a lot of poetry books are about love and heartbreak and, and the standard topics, but then they'll just say like, you know, love, heartbreak. But I've seen other poetry books where the chapters are really creatively named and follow one metaphor. And I wanted to do something more like that because it's memorable. Um, and so I'm like thinking of the five senses but you like salty and bitter are too similar. So I couldn't use them both because also most of my chapters are upbeat and not salty and bitter. Um, so I did sweet, salty, uh, spicy, and then savory. And then the last chapter is called creating new recipes because again, I couldn't use bitter and I needed <laughs> to do something that kind of summed everything up. And it just, I mean, Thank God for me, there's five senses of taste, or senses, five senses, sorry. Um, I was literally trying to figure out a way to incorporate umami in there somewhere. I'm like, that's just too weird. That is bizarre. Because <laughs> I know right. that's like the sixth Maybe eight. in the follow-up. Maybe in the follow-up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, like, um, shout out to umami for being just a little <laughs> too weird. Um, but once I kind of had that hammered out, I did word clouds and all those things wrote down. I'm like, those are going to be the five. I like them. And then my sister actually helped me create the images that are, there's one image per chapter, um, using just like photos around my kitchen and I Photoshop traced them. So that was really cool. Nice. I was wondering the, like the art is something that complements it so well because you don't lose track of the actual work. It just is there as an assistive piece, but it like makes so much sense and it does make it feel complete. So I love, I like this. I like the story behind that. No, I think that's excellent. Um, so I do want to like quick, like smaller question before I move on to kind of our like larger topic is like, 
do you, when you run with a metaphor like that, do you write chronologically? Like, do you say, okay, here's my like emotional like development or is it like, or, and maybe you can tell me if emotional development is maybe like the wrong sort of like term for this too. Um, but do you write that as like a, I'm going to write this taste or this sense, this sense, this sense. Do you kind of like go into that thing or do you just bounce all over the place? I definitely bounce. It depends on what's happening in my life. Like it's um, the reason it took me so many years to do this book is because I had to experience enough to bounce enough to create enough. Um, then that wasn't repetitive over and over again. Cause like we all get our hearts broken and there's a million ways to say it, but if you're saying it the same way, it's not interesting anymore. Um, so definitely bounce. And I, I would, the worst thing was like when I wrote something and I just like couldn't make it fit anywhere. I'm like, but it's good, but it doesn't fit anywhere. And so that was frustrating. There was a few of those that didn't make it in here. Um, so, I mean, I definitely didn't compartmentalize when I was creating, it was more like an afterthought when I was putting it together. I got it. Yeah. And um, do, do you, do you ever feel like when you're writing, do you ever like stop yourself and go, whoa, this is too much, or this is not something I'm ready to process yet, or maybe this is something I should write, but this is not going anywhere because maybe I'm not ready to say that. Or were you ever like scared? Like, okay, this is like a debut for me. Like, I don't want to get like too personal. What sort of hesitancies and doubts did you have in creating something so utterly transparent? That is, you touched on one of my biggest fears. I obviously this book, I mean, sold 270 pre-order copies. It's going out to all these people and adults and people my age, and it is personal. Um, and I mean, that's not something I thought of when I was writing these because I'm like, I'm writing these for myself. Um, but then in the bigger picture, when I was narrowing them down, I was like, man, some of this stuff's really personal. There was one poem where the only thing that rhymed with like must was lust. And I had it in there for months. And I'm like, I just don't feel comfortable saying that word because it just yeah. implies so much. And though like, you know, it's like an ad advanced book, like people can assume whatever they want, but it's just saying something so provocative even though it's just the word lust i was like i don't feel comfortable putting that word in because i was factoring in my audience and the fact that like my grandmother's going to read this and i don't know definitely um yeah it was transparency like it comes with you have to be transparent to like be relatable because that's what people grab onto but at the same time you're like this is my life and i don't want the world to know that like struggled so bad or I went through this. So it's, it's a fine line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to make people really appreciate your work, you want them to keep reading, but you also want to write something that makes them stop and go, whoa, like something about that, like pulled on my heart's like somehow. And I feel, I hear you completely. I feel very much that way with like, with songwriting. Like sometimes you can get so swept up that you almost go, I need to stop myself because I don't know if I can handle this. Or you're like, I don't know if I want people to put together the pieces to what I'm actually saying right now. Exactly. Or like, this is, I want to be vulnerable and I want to be personal because that's what people like to see. But how can I be personal enough so they like it, but still have like a part of it that keeps with me. And it's something that nobody ever really masters. 
because it's just human nature to sort of hold back a little bit. Um, but it's very weird to be producing um, content for other people that is so personal. And I want to ask you too, this hits me all the time. Like, do you, especially now that the book is out, do you have moments where like, sometimes like I'll release something and it's like, people will talk about it. Like this podcast, even people will say, Oh, I listened to that episode. And I'll be like, how, wait, how did you know what we were talking about? Cause you forget like working on a project that's so isolating is difficult to release then. Cause then people are like, Oh, I read everything. And you feel like you just got like torn open yeah. and <laughs> everything about you is like totally like nothing's off limits. Yeah. Do you like, do you feel that way? Especially now, like we are like right at the heart of the release. I know I it's, it's in a few hands right now. Not too many, not like, I mean, there's people I was more nervous about getting it and less nervous about getting it. Um, anyone who was a direct inspiration, either who knows it or doesn't like, I have a lot of, you know, past relationship people who did get a copy and may or may not know that they're in the book, um, whether they like it or not. Um, and so kind of, I just, it is, you just, I just, I have to roll with it. I have to know that it's my work and I'm proud of it. And I hope people take it the right way and can find, I go back to the fact that my target audience is young adult women. So if you're a guy or you're, you know, a mom, maybe you don't relate to everything because it technically wasn't written for you. There are certainly lessons for every single kind of person in my book, but like, especially the first half about like romance and stuff, it's about modern love. And a lot of older people can't even relate to that. So that's, it just, it's knowing, it's knowing at heart that like your audience should grab onto it. Like your target audience. You, do you feel comfortable with the thought that you would educate maybe people outside of your target audience on what it is like to be a young adult woman? Do I, sorry, do I feel what? Do you feel comfortable like with that thought? Of like, oh, you being the person that might introduce somebody to what the reality of like modern love as a young person in their 20s. I do feel comfortable with it. And I even acknowledge it in my author's note, like talking about the progression of how I've seen love go. I mean, I'm someone who grew up on Disney princesses. I'm one of three sisters. Like I believe in, I'm a hopeless romantic, but you know. I've had my heart broken a lot of times and I see people get their heart broken all the time because technology's made things really tough. And like, you know, I feel like cheating is more prevalent. People aren't loyal. It's hard. Um, and I don't think adults get that. And I think maybe if they did, they would be more sympathetic to what we all go through on like a yearly basis of constant going around of people just, you know, kind of betraying trust. And I think that, they don't have the best perspective on it. And that, I mean, maybe they could learn something from my book. I don't know. Yeah. Do you, do you feel comforted at all in being emotionally vulnerable, knowing that other people can read it? Or like, do you think you would have the same fulfillment if you just had the published book in your hand and you were the only one that was reading it? Or does it, how does it feel differently knowing that it's in the hands of other people? It makes me so excited. I mean, I just, my whole thing is that like my poetry, this sounds selfish. It comforts me. Like I'll go back and read my stuff. If I'm feeling a certain way, I'll go back and read one. And I wanted that for like other people going through similar things. Like I wanted like my friends to be able to be like, Oh, I'm having like a crappy day. Like 
I'm going to go read this poem that like, I know makes me feel better because that's what poetry is to me. It's like, like for me, poetry books, you read them front to back once and you remember like maybe five or six and they always stick with you. Maybe you fold the page over. And then when you feel something that relates to that poem, you go right back to it and you read it again, because even though it's just like a few words, it could just like, you know, make you feel like you're not alone in whatever it is. So that was my, that's why I'm so excited. Cause I want people to be able to like pinpoint what they like and go to it. Yeah. And what's, and what's more rewarding than giving somebody the same impact that writing it had on you for them to read it. Yes. You put that very nicely. Exactly. Okay. Could be said, probably could be said a little bit nicer, but, um, I, I'm so amazed because I, I mean, you can fight me on this. I give you permission. Um, I, I see such a parallel between poetry and songwriting. So like a lot of the things that you're saying like hits me really hard. I, um, and I know what you mean about like letting something go and feeling like there's such like a value in it. Um, do you, do you feel like you are at a point where if somebody were to walk up to you and be like, Hey Lauren, like I didn't get this one because there are people who think they're being constructive in that sort of way. How do you feel like you would react and how do you think other people who are inevitably going to be inspired by you, how could, how could they react to that? Because being so vulnerable often gets mistaken for permission for people to comment on that. Confidence is often mistaken for like, hey, come on over, like, tell me what you think about this because I'm so confident about it. But we hide behind that confidence with insane insecurity. Yeah. I mean, if someone, if someone didn't understand, like if like an adult didn't understand some of the modern love stuff, I wouldn't blame them. I wouldn't take offense to it. I'd just be like, this is something that maybe you don't understand because different generations. But if someone from our generation was like, Hey, this is uh, this is a little far out for me. I don't know if I like this or I don't know if I get this. I would just kind of have to take it in stride because, and stand behind the fact that, you know, I went through such a process to get this thing out there. It's been seen by so many professional people who knew what they were doing that hopefully like a really like bad one wouldn't have slipped through the cracks into the public eye because that would be embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I would just kind of stand behind the fact that I knew what I was doing. My editors knew what they were doing. And I am, I am confident that it will appeal to, to the wider population. That's, that's great. And that's all you can do too. There's not like, there's not much more that you can do. There's almost no point. And I guess, I don't know it, it, even no matter what the reaction is, you provoked something in them, which is, I don't know, maybe the goal all along. I don't want to put words in your mouth by all means. You're the one who's way better at words than I am. But uh, do you, do you feel that same sort of way? And again, you could say no. No, I, I agree with you. I think that like provoking something like, I mean, we all read stuff every day on our phones, in a magazine, in a book, whatever. But if something makes you so mad that you have to talk to me about it, clearly it struck a chord. Like, I mean, even if you hate it, like why? I would love to know. Um, maybe it's, I don't know. I honestly, I welcome all, not, I don't know. Criticism's hard to take, but you know, if it's coming from a place where like people are trying to, it really struck someone and they just had to tell you, like, maybe I want to hear it. Maybe, maybe it will 
provoke something in me. I don't know. Maybe it will inspire me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and you said you get inspired by stories that maybe aren't even like your own, like experiences of friends and such that you almost take personally because they're so personal to you. Um, I love, I love the conversation and the topic of using an outlet for emotional development because especially, well, especially creative outlets, because no matter what you do, it's just such a clear landscape to build whatever you would like. Um, and it sounds like you had kind of a clear conscience of, I'm just going to say what I want to say. Um, how do you get to a point where you can be comfortable with yourself in discussing these things? Because I'm sure like we all, myself included, have the thoughts that sort of haunt our minds of like, I should address this about myself, or I should address this about this one situation I'm in, or there's something that's upsetting me, but I don't know how to address that. Um, and in terms of emotional pursuit and development, how can people sort of convert that like trauma or that conflict into like a creative project. I mean, for you, it's obviously poetry. Um, and maybe you even have other creative projects too, but like, how, how did you build yourself to that point to be this open? I think it was a lot of like self-reflection in the moment where I was like, you know, when we're all going through stuff, you don't like, you get tired of venting to your friends and your mom and you're like, no one wants to hear me. So I'm going to find a way to get it out where like, you know, I can go back and read it succinctly. And for that's for me for poetry and, you know, reference it in the future. Like if I need to remember how I was feeling right now. Um, so definitely point of reference and like, like a time milestone almost. Um, but also just in terms of like, I don't know, there's something so liberating about getting something so concrete on paper. Like that's why people journal and use diaries and everything. And like, you know, I've done that, but usually they're longer and they're like all over the place and my handwriting's terrible and, <laughs> you know, uh, but to have like a form of art that you can, you can go back to and reference quickly. Um, that was for me, like how I kind of just was able to do it over all the years. And, you know, with rhyming, like, it is really empowering to read something that rhymes that isn't a nursery rhyme. And when you're trying to prove a point and it has like a really finite ending for me, that was always just like triumphant and it would help me deal with whatever was on my plate. Um, and sometimes nothing was on my plate. Sometimes I was just writing about a take I had on something I saw happen between two people. Um, but I always like to have a point in each of my poems. Like if you read the whole book front to back, you'll see like, every last line has like a kicker and that's kind of that's that's that little kicker is the reason i write almost every poem because that's usually the the root idea that's so and why why at the end is that just because you want that to be like the lingering like thought yeah i mean sometimes they get swallowed into the middle because i need to like the ending like isn't like uh, it's not really an ending. Like, it's like a great thought, but like you couldn't leave on it. I just think that like, yeah, it makes you, if it, if the rhythm is just spot on and then, and the message is so clear, it will stay in your head. And like, I mean, I used to read Dr. Seuss and that stuff stuck in my head. Like I love Dr. Seuss, 
Um, I mean, these are different, but like, I just think with the rhythm and the rhyme and like the, if the message is clear again, the message has to be clear, which is why, you know, editing was so important, but like, um, yeah, just like that. It stays with you. I want it to stay with people. Good. Yeah. And, and it does the, the pieces and such that I've written, I can tell, like, I would want to like go in and like analyze because there does feel like there's purpose behind every single word. Um, and when I have those thoughts, I think like back to my days of like in school and English class and I never liked the poetry unit unit. Like, I'm so sorry to tell you that because I feel like you're going to be disappointed in me for saying that. But that sparks a question just in my mind to you of like, what, what was different about learning poetry in school? Because I think it's a common thing. Like the way we like learn poetry is always that like sporadic unit, like in the spring that just kind of like <laughs> filled, filled the time. There's always some like, okay, wait, Shel Silverstein. That's a name, right? That's a poetry yes. name. Okay. Well, it's all coming back to me now, like <laughs> frighteningly. Um, what changed between that sort of introduction to poetry and now for you that made, um, and, and I guess one did, did you enjoy that piece like back then? Um, and two, like what's, what's different? Cause I would imagine a lot of people who are listening, their basis of writing poetry was that third grade assignment. Like that was probably my last sort of interaction with writing that kind of style. And you keep mentioning rhyming and I, I am like almost laughing to myself because that's what I assume poetry just does. But then you remind me like, oh, no, I remember all those different sort of like forms and I'm not going to have the right terminology of like the the patterns and the iambic pentameter is like a phrase that I always remember yep, that yep. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't even I don't know, know if I remember. To be honest with you, I, yeah. I don't know what it means either, but it's just the phrase that I remember. But anyway, I'm trying to think, what was my question to you? Oh, that, uh, between elementary school and now what uh, what changed yeah so i mean it's so funny because you're not the first person to be like yeah duh it rhymes like poetry rhymes and really if you read the top charts poetry books these days absolutely none of it rhymes and if it does it's really loose there's not much it's not like a tight rhythm it's like maybe like and and hand will be like loosely a few a few lines apart like nothing crazy um but yes it rhymes and in terms of elementary school and all that stuff, I love those units. I like to like, you know, have like creative ability. Um, and like, you know, you get to write about personal stuff. It's kind of like a succinct memoir of sorts. If you, you know, it was always like, choose something from your life, like your dog and write a, like a haiku about it. And you're like, oh, I get to talk about my dog. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I took a creative writing class um, in, sorry, my door just popped up, but one second. Sorry, sorry, you can edit this out. Um, okay. <laughs> took a creative writing class in high school, thinking like, this is going to be the best class of my high school career because I was just getting into the rhyming thing and I'm like, I am going to show what I've got. And I had this very old guy who'd worked there for decades. And I, like the first like out loud share we had, because that was the thing we did, I brought in one of my early works, which was actually decent. And I was like, hey guys, like I write rhyme poetry, like none of you guys rhyme, but I do. And I'm like really pumped to show you. And my teacher pulled me aside after class. He's like, can you stay after? And he's like, I'm really sorry to tell you, but this isn't poetry. And I was like, okay. Um, 
you're a creative writing teacher. Are you even one to tell me what poetry is and isn't? But I was yeah, so yeah. upset. And then I'm like, well, you can be the only one. Sorry. You are probably like, maybe you're just judging the one piece of work. So I'm going to try again. So a few weeks later, I, um, I brought in another piece, totally different. And I read it to the class and he's like, all right, class, um, let's give out loud opinions. Um, and I'm going to start, I think it's childish, but nice message. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, and everyone, you know, no one wants to go against a teacher. So everyone's like, yeah, childish, but like really nice words. Mm. And I was like, rude. Um, and I feel unconfident as an author and writer right now. And, and I was so discouraged after that year in creative writing. I've never been more discouraged in myself than I was after that. Um, college was, I took one in college. It was a little bit better. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just a different kind of curriculum. The lady was very free flowing and accepting of all ideas, but yeah, that one triggered me in high school for sure. <laughs> yeah. And okay. Childish, but weren't we children back then too? Like, what, what what was he hoping for? Like, I'm sorry. Like, you don't have Shel Silverstein in the class. Yeah. I mean, you have Lauren Steichleather, but also Shel, Shel Silverstein is just the only, like, name I can think of. He's just going to keep coming up because that's just my example for everything. <laughs> okay. Did he write, Um, I know, he, I, I can picture the book. Um, He didn't write The Giving Tree. That's another one. Did he? No, he didn't write The Giving Tree. No, because The Giving Tree is not poetry. I'm so sorry. This is the worst no, tangent I've ever had on this show. I don't know why I have that in my head, too. He wrote the big books of, like, the, where the sidewalk ends. Yes, that's the yeah. one. That's Everyone the one I'm thinking. Everyone that one, yeah. Yep. Classic. That's a classic. Maybe I'm just trying. I can't remember who wrote The Giving Tree. I just remember his face on the back of the book was, like, horrifying as a child. He had a big beard. Yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, let's get back to talking about you two. Um, so the last few questions that I always like to ask every single guest, um, one's a little bit just typical kind of question. And then my second one's going to be like very in-depth for everybody listening today. So the first one being, it's such a cheesy question, but it's just my favorite one to ask is like, what are we like manifesting for you? Like, what's the like what's like what's the dream? And we can rock with any timeline we want. It can be, hey, maybe you're like one week from now, I just still want to be doing this. Or it can be, oh, actually in 50 years, I'm hoping I'm still like writing on a beach somewhere. Or like wherever wherever you want to go with this, like what what can we manifest for you right now? I would want to manifest this becoming oh, just getting out to a big audience. Doesn't have to be on the New York Times bestseller list, but reaching an audience that is notable in any amount of time. If it takes two years for people to really catch on, that's fine with me. I don't care, I'm not on any timeline. This isn't like my main job. Like this is just um, something that I, I want to manifest a bigger audience. I want young women all over the country to read my poems and feel them in their heart and you know, reach out to me with how they feel. Like, I want to know just, yeah, reaching a wider audience. Amazing. That's a perfect one. And you're right. There's no timestamp. Like your poems are very evergreen in terms of they're going to be the, the, the emotional problems of, they're not going to be solved tomorrow. Right. They're, they're still going to be around and we're both probably going to go through plenty of it again. Um, which makes me pumped for the follow-up, but, um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
But, and then the second question that I want to ask is a lot of like the people that listen to the show um, and who talk to me about the show have a ton of different sort of creative ideas. And they always say like, you know, like, oh, all the guests on the show, like they have, they have so much together and they like figured out all the bits and pieces. And it's like, sometimes when you sit down, they're like, I, it's hard for me to conceptualize like what I should do. And it blows my mind because I'm like, I still feel that way. Like there's by no means am I put together to the way that you may think. So in all transparency, I always just like to ask everybody, what's like one really tangible, like task or mindset or like a healthy habit or anything that you would recommend to anyone. And you can be very specific to your sort of industry, or you can give a very just general piece, something that goes beyond the typical, like believe in yourself or like follow your heart or like trust your gut because, okay, we can do all of those things. But when I set aside an hour every day to work on my passion project, I can follow my heart, but that's not going to like take an hour, you know? Right. Yeah. That's a great one. I would say, and this is what I have lived by, you know, we can all have passion products and whatever, but only act on it when you're feeling passionate about it. I mean, I wrote maybe one good poem a month for several years and came to a book. And every time someone told me, go write, try, try to write a poem right now. I'm like, it's not going to happen. Absolutely not. Like it will not come to me. I have nothing inspiring me right now. Um, so my advice would be, you know, act on it when it hits you, but do not force it. And you know, if it keeps hitting you for weeks and weeks and weeks, keep acting on it. But like, you know, if you go two months without, you know, writing anything, drawing anything like that's okay. Because you know, everything comes with time and, you know, you can't force, you know, art. Absolutely. I, again, I feel very much a parallel to all of that. Um, and I lied, actually. I have one more follow-up question, if that's okay. Um, very specific to poets and writers. I think often it's success is defined by like a ranking or a number or some sort of element like that. And that can be very discouraging at one point because, well, every industry, we compare ourselves to the people who we deem as successful. But how do you define success for your industry? That's a great, great question again. You can edit out me saying great question. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm not editing I, that out, no way. <laughs> something in our... Uh, in our writer program was they were always telling us, you know, this is how you can become a bestseller. You can pick, you know, a, t um, what's a, a subcategory where there's not that many books and put your book in it. And if Amazon will accept it as like actually fitting into that category, you can become a bestseller way faster than general poetry, which, ha which has like a million books in it, quite literally like over millions of books in it. So I think my book's like 300,000 on Amazon, right? Woo! Now. Woo! We're getting there. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it is hard. Um, but I guess my like standard for success is just like, I mean, before my book came out, my standard of success was people's reactions to my work. And if I can make someone cry or not that I want people to cry, but like touching moments or, or if I could make someone upset or be like oh my god that was just what i needed right now like that was successful for me that did the job for me um 
a lot of my poems started as birthday cards to like special friends and they're always like, you know, it sums up our friendship. And if, if they're so happy with it, then I'm so happy with it. So, you know, standard for success would be as many people as I can get, you know, telling me or spreading to others that, you know, my work had a positive impact on them. It doesn't have to be a million dollar thing. It just, just spreading the word and feeling the feels. And that's what I think you are going to be incredibly successful at. Um, Lauren, seriously, thank you so much for your time. I, I know how almost difficult it can be to talk about like certain parts of the process. Um, but I really hope this like release and the sharing of it is as fulfilling as it should be, because I can tell how much work you put into it and I can tell how much this means to you. And I just sincerely hope everybody supports it because you truly deserve it. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting me. I love being on the show. Um, and I love talking to you. Me too. All the same. And we'll be in touch. Sounds great. Thank you, Lauren, for being on the show today. I learned so much from you and it was so great to learn more about what this book means to you. Continue following Lauren's journey by checking her out on Instagram at LR Stikes and ordering a copy for yourself on Amazon. Today's a great day for supporting young creators in their business, so let's do it. I cannot wait to share our next episode with you. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming service and follow us at Friendly Media, that's F-R-N-D-L-Y, on all platforms. You can also follow me at Jacob Wittenberg if you want to. All links are in the description. That's all for today, folks. I will see you next time for some more groundbreaking.